I'm going to be reading from Isaiah and from Luke. So let's go to Isaiah 40 first. Let me pray as we approach the scriptures this morning. Dear God, we want to uh, hear from your word this morning. We want to hear from the Holy Scriptures that speak to us of who you are, uh, speak to us perhaps a little too clearly about who we are, and uh, putting those two things together help us to hear where we should be going and what we should be doing. Would you prepare our hearts now by the power of your Spirit to hear your voice, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So Isaiah 40, starting at verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low and the rough ground shall become level, and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all humanity together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because of the breath of the Lord blowing on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass wither and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign God comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads all that have young. Let us now read from Luke. It's Mary's song. Luke 1:46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty. He has helped the servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. May God be blessed in the reading of his holy scriptures this morning. I want to talk this morning about this idea, comfort, comfort ye my people. It's the King James Version that most of us know. Comfort, comfort ye my people. And this idea of God calling someone, it's actually this weird, strange image, which we don't often think about because we don't, we don't read the, the Old Testament in this way. But the way that, that the, the scriptures are actually telling the story right now as, at Isaiah 40 is that God is in the throne room 
almost a courtroom in heaven. And he's, he's gathered his, his people together. He's gathered his, his angels together. And he says, comfort, comfort ye my people. I need you. It's, a, it's actually a command going out to the rest. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to them. And I, I, I like these two things put together, comfort and tender. Comfort and tender. And I'm wondering, are you at a point where you need a little comfort in your life? I, I, I'm... I don't know about you, but I'm exhausted by this year, and I could use a little comfort. I, I'm, I just found this, 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 this year to be, I don't know, more demanding, or more pressure. Everywhere you go, you're putting on something, forgetting something, trying to remember the new rules, and I wouldn't mind a hug every now and then. And we're not allowed to hug. And I just hear this comfort, comfort my people, and I wouldn't mind somebody comforting us. Are you with me on this one? <clears throat> and I love this idea of comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And, and then he says, speak tenderly. I like this because I'm that first person who needs to hear the second bit. I don't know who else is like that. Like, like you, you, you want to bring comfort to people, but you're not a good wordsmith. And like if somebody says, you know, my fish died and I'm feeling really sad, you're like, well, it's just a fish. That's my comfort, right? You know what I'm saying? Oh, I feel this is happening to me. And I'll say, but it's not true. I'm not good at comforting people. So I need to hear the second part, right? Comfort, comfort ye my people. I'm like, I'm there for you, God. Speak tenderly. Ah, oh, man, I'm not good at that. Right? Speak tenderly. Who do you think of when you think, speak tenderly? I don't think of me. I don't think of me. There's, there's anybody in the room who doesn't think of themselves when you hear speak tenderly? There's a few of you. Thank you. I appreciate that. There's some Dutch people here. Right? <laughs> we've learned to be, right? We're, we've learned to be abrupt. We're not good at that. We're, we speak boldly. We often say things without thinking about them. We just, boom, here it is. I'm comforting you. There you go. And God's like, no, 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 I need you to speak tenderly. Oh, like what? Because we haven't heard that much in our life. But then we think of grandparents, and we think of moms, and we think of that good friend. And we're like, speak tenderly. Like, okay, I can do that. I can do that. i got to slow down. <laughs> I probably have to, to think of how to rephrase things. Anybody else like this, that, that when you're writing an email, somebody says, hey, where's this, or what's going on, and you just write the answer, and you're just about to hit send, and you forgot to be tender? Anybody else like that? That's me totally. I'm like, hey, the answer's this, Jill. That's all I write. And then I'm like, I've got to be tender. So I'm like, thank you very much for writing. That was really kind of you. I hope you're having a great day. That is not me. That's me like going, God's like, you've got to be tender to people. I'm like, okay. That's a good impression of God, by the way. Um, so he, he tells us, be tender. And, and then we, we have to ask the question, why is he comforting the people? What's going on in their life that he not only needs them to be comforted, but to speak tenderly? And so we read through what's going on in Isaiah, and you start to figure out that, that his people are in exile. And what are they doing in exile? What are they doing in a foreign land? Why aren't they at home like they want to be? Why aren't we at home like we should be? What's going on in their world that they're feeling this, this disconnect? 
And what has happened is God is punishing them. They weren't the people they were called to be. They were called to be the blessing to the nations. They were called to not be an empire. But what did they do? They turned imperial ways upon their own people. They started crushing their own people, charging high rent prices. They started holding debt over people's head, throwing people in prison, their own people. Not just people they don't know, but people they do know, people they're supposed to love. And God's like, you can't even take care of your own people. Oh, you're supposed to be a blessing to all the nations. So he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to remove you from the land and put you in a foreign land so that you will think of nothing but me. Think of nothing but me. And we hear the story of Daniel. Daniel's the great story of, of, of a person and some people who are so loyal to God in the foreign land. They don't have the Torah. They don't have the temple. They don't have the land. They don't have all of their buddies around. They just have themselves and God. And in that story, that, that they stay loyal to God no matter what. That's the idea of what he was hoping would be formed of the people of God. The Israelites would be put into exile, remember their true calling to be the blessing to the nations, and they would be returned from exile. Now, how do you get returned from exile if you are being punished for your sin of not being the blessing to the nations? The way you return from exile is forgiveness. The forgiveness of sins enters the story at this point in Isaiah 40. I will give you double for your sins. It has been paid for. This image of double for your sins is, is Hebrew kind of expression. Do you remember the, the expression that, that Isaiah uses in Isaiah 6 of how holy God is? What does he say? He is... You're not very good at this. He is... Honestly, how holy is God in Isaiah 6? He's holy, holy, holy. There we go. You guys are good at this now. Okay, the idea that, that he's holy, 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 that sounds weird. We don't talk like that. We use the expression very or extremely or something like that. that but in Hebrew, you just keep saying the same thing until you get the point. In Hebrew, never mind. Ah, now you're with me. Okay, so when it says double fear all your sins, the idea is that, that God is, is not just going to, to, just to pay it off and, and forgive you. He's going to really forgive you. He's going to completely release you. That's what this passage is all about. That the Israelites who are stuck in exile are going to be sent home. They're going to return from exile. And God is about to declare how that's going to happen. How that's going to happen and what that's going to look like. Comfort, comfort ye my people. Your sins have been paid for. They've been paid for double. Now, the interesting thing of how this works in the New Testament is when Jesus declares that he's the one forgiving sins, when he said he's the one forgiving sins, he's declaring that he's bringing about the time of the return from exile. He's releasing his people from the, the one thing that is gripping them, which is they're not the people they're called to be. So when John is preparing the way, which we're about to read about, preparing the way, he calls the Israelites to repentance. He says, you need to turn from the way you were and turn to the way of, of, of Jesus, and then that's the way you need to be. And so that's a, a, a repentance and forgiveness, and then start to follow correctly. 
And so the image then of of forgiveness of sins throughout the New Testament is a declaration that the, the exile is over. The time is over, and the rest of these things are about to happen. That's what God is saying, the rest of these things. So what I want you to do as I'm reading through the rest of the things, try to ask yourself, how do the rest of these things happen in Jesus? Because this this passage from Isaiah 40 is in the lectionary this week. This is the passage that the global church is reading. Do you guys do the lectionary around here? I'm not sure if anybody does, but I'll just describe it a little bit. It's the, the international church has chosen passages on a three-year cycle of, of passages that the whole church across the world reads together. So this is the passage everybody in the whole world pretty much is reading this morning is Isaiah 40. And we have to ask ourselves, why is this the passage talking about Advent week two? Because what I sense is happening is that God is announcing the return from exile, and then Jesus is bringing about the return from exile, and this is the way God is going to bring his comfort, and he's going to speak tenderly. So, what does all of the things that are going to happen with return from exile, what is in this passage? The next bit that you see in the passage is God is coming. God is coming. And that's some exciting news. It says, make, make straight the paths. God is coming. In other words, get ready. Get ready because God is coming. In fact, you might want to, you know, get the roads ready. You might want to make, make sure that there's, there's kind of rolling out the red carpet for God. That's kind of what Isaiah is saying. Roll out the red carpet. God is about to show up. And and the Israelites must have been very excited about this, that God was going to show up. And a bit later, it's going to describe how he's going to show up, but I'm not going to hold on that for a minute, because there's some exciting stuff first of what's going to happen when God shows up. When God shows up, what will it look like? And the first thing he says, when God shows up, justice happens. I love this. I'm tired of injustice. I'm exhausted by injustice. I walk regularly downtown and by the river in London, Ontario, and I meet people who are sleeping outside still. I'm tired of injustice, aren't you? And that's just the obvious ones, the great homeless poverty of, of our generation, which is, which is horrible and dehumanizing, and it's unjust. And then there's the little injustices that happen regularly, the, the, the relationship problems, the, the things that don't go away, the, 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 the ways that, that governments play games, the way that, that, that people with, with and without money play games, and all of that stuff, the injustices of how people scream at each other on the internet, just constant berating of one another. They're so mean at times, and it's constantly unjust. Would you agree with me on this? and I'm just tired of injustice. And so when when we hear God is gonna bring justice, I kinda get a little excited. Are you? I'm excited about this, this Christmas season because I think God does reveal justice and God continues to reveal justice. So he gives the image of what justice looks like and it's an image that sits weird with us because we don't often talk about it. I've described it a couple of times here, but here's where I get the image. It's Isaiah 40 and the image is this, the valleys come up and the mountains come down. The valleys come up and the mountains come down. Those who have been crushed 
those who have been oppressed, those who have been tossed aside, those who have had the world handed to them in a nasty, nasty way, those are going to be lifted up. Do you see that happening in Jesus' life? Do you see him hanging around with the wrong people? Do you see him hanging out with the valleys? All the time, right? That's, that's his life. That's what he's doing. He's hanging out with the valleys. Why? To lift the valleys up. To lift them up. And not just to have sustenance. Just not just to get by with life. What did Jesus say about life? I came to have life and life abundantly. He doesn't want the valleys to just get by. He doesn't want OW. He wants abundance. He wants everybody to have enough. But what's happening over here with the mountains? Some of the mountains have to come down, don't you agree? Some people are hoarding a little too much, don't you think? But when is enough enough? And God says the, the mountains need to come down and disperse and share. Think of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and he said, I followed every commandment, what can I do? And he says, give away half, don't be a mountain anymore. And he walked away sad because he couldn't do it. Right? And I think of all of the challenges all throughout uh, the New Testament of the Jesus story, and the, 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 the narrative just does that, doesn't it? The Jesus story is the lifting up of the valleys and the bringing down of the mountains and challenging of the mountains and saying, your time is, is up. If the God's kingdom is coming, we're doing life and life abundantly. That means there's enough for everybody. That means everybody will be celebrating, everybody will be partying, everybody will have enough. That's the mountains and the valleys, and that's what Jesus is bringing. And it's really exciting. And he's going to reveal his glory as he does this. This is that, that how is God going to show himself? It says, all will see God's glory. What's the God's glory story that you know in your heart? That you, the person asks to see God and wasn't allowed to. The person asked to see God, but wasn't allowed to. Who was that? I want to see you, Lord. You can't. But maybe if you turn around, I'll walk past you. Who is that? Moses. Yeah. So we have God's glory being asked by Moses, the greatest Israelite prophet, right? Every single Israelite knows this story inside and out. And they know the story goes like this. G, uh, Moses says, I want to see you. Yahweh says, you can't see me or else you will die because it's too great. The glory, my glory is too much. You won't be able to handle it. So turn around. So Moses turns around and then God walks by. And when God walks by, Moses' face glows for days and days and days. The glory of God is shining through his face. What has Isaiah just said to us? All will see God's glory and live, and live. Isn't that exciting? So we're like, how is that going to happen? How is that going to happen that we will see the fullness of God where heaven and earth truly collide? How are we going to see that and still live? And we start to hear the Christmas story, don't we? We're going to see God's glory revealed in a baby. We're going to see God's glory revealed in a man who grows up to be a refugee. We're going to see God's glory in, in a man who grows up challenging the way it is, saying the valleys need to come up and the mountains need to come down, who dies on a cross for the sins of all humanity. That will be how we see God's glory and live. Isn't that exciting? 
That's the Jesus story being revealed already in Isaiah, that we will see God's glory and live. We, unlike Moses, will live. God is returning, and we will see his glory, and humanity cannot stop it. That's that weird part in in, in verses 6 through 8. It says, what shall I say? How shall I say it? It says, well, all men are like grass. All of them are going to blow away. And why is that in there? Like, he's building up humanity. Why is all of a sudden he saying, well, uh, you know, humanity's like like grass, and it's going to blow away, and, and the word of the Lord stands forever? Well, the thing what happens is this. When you are totally oppressed and you hear good news, you say, yeah, but. When you are totally oppressed and you hear good news, you say, yeah, but. You say, hey, I'm going to release you. We're going to release you. Yeah, but my prisoner guy won't let me go. Right? Yeah, but. Do you know what I'm saying? So when we are totally oppressed... And that's where the people of God are in this story. They're totally oppressed. So what they would have said right to God, as soon as he said, I'm coming, I'm bringing justice, they would have said, yeah, but the people that are oppressing us are going to continue to oppress us. And God said, all people are like grass. They fade, but I will stand forever. Isn't that exciting news for the oppressed? Isn't that really exciting news? That the ones that are crushing them, they will fade, they will blow away, they will not persist, but God will last forever. He will hold on to his promises. He's not going anywhere. He's going to release them, and no matter all the yabbats we have for God, all of our yabbats, but yabbat, 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 and he's like, no, the word of the Lord lasts forever. It may be a bit longer than you imagined, and you may need to be a bit more patient, and that's often in other passages about the patience of the people of God. But here, it's very clear that the the people of God are looking for God to do something, and he said, I will even release you from the oppressor who will fade. Don't worry about it. I'm holding on. And the final thing I want to offer is this, that God is coming, but it's not what we're expecting. God is coming, but it's not what we're expecting. I want you to look at how that looks in Scripture in verse 10. This is often how we think of God coming. And verse 11 is the messed up part. Verse 10 is what we think of. Verse 10 says, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. Oh, good. We like power. We like big, strong people with guns, and we think that's how God's going to show up. And his arm rules for him. That's good, because we want strength, too. We want, don't just want guns. We want strength. We want an arm. We want somebody to demonstrate how strong they are. And when we hear the word arm, we think of those ancient statues of kings riding into town on, on horses. And when they ride into town, they're flexing like crazy. I'm an art history uh, guy. I don't know if you know that. But when, when, when you study the, the ancient uh, sculptures, each one of them, they're flexing muscles you can't even flex when you're riding, by the way. I don't know if you've ever ridden a horse, but you can't flex your biceps when you're riding a horse. You have to hold things right in, or else you're going to fall and all sorts of things. And you, you can't flex these muscles and these muscles and these muscles and these ones at the same time I've tried but you can't do it and so these guys are riding into town and that's the image in Isaiah 40 verse 10 isn't it God's going to show up in power God's going to show up in his arms and we're like whoo giddy up because that's what we want but that's not who God is and the Israelites and us today often mistake this 
because God is about to say, no, I'm going to show up with power, and I'm going to show up in strength, but it's not the power and strength you think. This is what power and strength actually are. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, carries them close to his heart, and gently leads the moms. Gently leads the moms of the sheep. Does that sound like power and strength to you? This God who could say, let's just get her done. I don't know, when, when, I was, when, we, when we had younger kids, we did this just to freak out the other church ladies. It was fun. We did this at the door, where the, we would put the, the entire uh, suit on our, our kid, the, the snowsuit. Do you remember? He was like two years old at the time, and he's wearing the entire snowsuit, so they're like this. Do you know the children like this? And just for fun, I would grab him right here and just carry him around the church like that. <laughs> God could do that with us, right? He could just say, let's get going. Come on. I'm going to grab you right here, and let's walk around. We're going to get this done. I'm going to show you my power. I'm going to show you my strength but he doesn't. He gathers the children into his arms, pulls them close to his chest, it actually says in Scripture. And then he turns to the moms of the lambs and says, come on, I got this. We're going to do this together. What's the image? That there's imminent danger for the, the lambs and there's imminent danger for the moms. And the moms are so overwhelmed with the imminent danger that they don't act. They're so scared. They're just protecting their children. And God comes along and says, no, I've got this. And he says, that is what power looks like. That is what strength looks like. And as you can hear, all of these things are revealed in Jesus. This is how Jesus did power. This is how Jesus did strength. And here's the fascinating, beautiful, scary thing. Jesus did not stop there. Jesus called us to be his glory that people see and not die. You are to be heaven and earth overlapping. You are to be speak tenderly to this world caught in exile. It's not home, is it? It doesn't feel like home out there for a lot of people. Not just my homeless friends and those stuck in poverty, but all of us have this innate sense we're not where we should be. And we get to be the comfort for those people. We get to be the love for those people. We get to be God's glory for those people. I'm gonna end with a quote from one of my favorite Christmas movies, and it's not Christmas Vacation, so your children can stay in the room. It's from Scrooged. Anybody watch the movie Scrooged? It's a, it's a telling of the story of a Christmas carol. And uh, the, the lead character is played by Bill Murray. He plays a guy named Frank Cross, who is a TV executive. It's probably not the best for everybody to watch, but I enjoy it. And, and there's the, 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 the rant at the end when he's, he wakes up. You know the Scrooge moment where he wakes up and sees the way it should have been and what it could have been? Here's the Scrooge moment from Scrooged. It's Christmas Eve. It's the one night of the year when we all act a little nicer. We smile a little easier. We cheer a little more. For a couple of hours out of the whole year, we are the people that we always hoped we would be. It's a miracle. 
It's really a sort of a miracle, but it's because it happens every Christmas Eve. And you have to do something. You have to take a chance. You have to get involved. There are people out there having trouble, having trouble having their miracle happen. And there are people that don't have enough to eat or people that are cold. And you can go out and say hello to these people. You can take an old blanket out of your closet and say, here. You can have, make a sandwich and say, oh, by the way, here. I, I get it now, and if you, if you give, then it can happen, and then the miracle can happen to you. And it's not just the poor and hungry, it's everybody who's gotta have this miracle. It can happen tonight for all of you, and if you believe in this spirit thing, the miracle will happen, and then will happen to you again tomorrow. And you won't be one of those people who say, Christmas is just once a year and it's a fraud. It's not, it can happen every day. You just have to want that feeling. And if you like it and you want it, you'll get greedy for it. You'll want it every day of your life and it can happen to you. I believe in it now. I believe it's going to happen to me now. I'm ready for it and it's great and it's a good feeling and it's really better than I felt a long, long time. I'm ready. Are you? Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this amazing message of hope, of comfort, of speaking tenderly. I crave tender right now, Lord. I crave justice. And I ask that you would speak to us, through us, and work in us and for us. May we see your love working in this world. May we see tenderness working in this world. May we understand our calling that, that Jesus came, but he didn't just bring the end of the story, that we are the rest of the story. That we are called to something powerful and wonderful. Help us to hear that calling this morning afresh. That we can be that miracle that, that was just mentioned in this amazing quote. Help us to be that miracle for others and let others be that miracle for us. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.